0: take a look at the Jalen Brown contract. Yeah, it's huge, but maybe there's a reason why we need to look at the contract a little differently. Uh, We're going to talk with Tracy McGrady. Awesome stuff here on his run. I know the Kobe quotes that were going around. I have a Celtic story that I want to ask him about, about them not drafting him. And then of course, his talent versus the resume. Life advice. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs in FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonderwater. So I was wondering what made Buy so great? And it's actually pretty simple. Bi has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Bi Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bi. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bai and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbi.com. I want to start with Jalen Brown. We didn't do it earlier in the week when it came out because we were taping. And I, with a contract, especially one this big, the largest in NBA history, I want to be able to go through it, spend a little time on it. And since there's no real other headline for this, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Although, congrats to Aaron Rodgers. So, look, uh, if you read the headline, you go five years, $304 million for Jalen Brown, which is the highest contract in NBA history. You go, wait, what? A deal is going to pay him $70 million in 28-29? And if you ask that question, if you go, Well, does that make sense? I think a lot of you would say no. And I get it. If you're in the Celtics front office and you're debating what to do on this extension, you've probably been talking about it for like a year and a half. You go, do we want to sign Jalen Brown to a deal that pays him more than anybody else in NBA history? Now, if you're in the front office and you're trying to figure this out going into July, that's not really the fair question. It's not the right question. The right question is if we don't do this, What are the alternatives? And the reality is the alternatives suck. Okay? This is how a lot of players get paid. Not to say that they're not worth it, but it's the problem of the way the cap is constructed. And honestly, I've thought about it for years. Like, is there a completely different version? Could you tear it down and start over? Or there's some other way to have a salary cap where it doesn't feel like, hey, we have cap space. Cool, now you have to spend it. You're like, oh, I don't really want to spend it on these guys, but we're not a good team, and now we've got to pay these guys this much, and now this contract doesn't really make a ton of sense, but we didn't really have much of a choice. Or in the Celtics case, at least it's Jalen Brown, by the way, uh, in the Celtics case, it's like, okay, we don't want to do this deal, but if you lose him with the amount of salaries that you already have committed moving forward, you can't just replace him. And I think everybody that listens to this pod knows that, right? But there can become... Some pretty basic conversations around it where it's like, oh, you can't spend that kind of money on that kind of player. It's like, okay, but you also can't spend anything close to that kind of money on the next player because you're just not going to have the room and you're not really going to be able to trade for them. And if that player is really good, you're going to go through the entire trade thing. And then hopefully <laughs> there's a few teams competing for that player that's trying to be traded. And there's a bit more of a market. And now you're competing with other people. So it's usually the safest, it's the default position for so many decisions when we look at the financial numbers on a lot of this stuff. Um, my feelings on Jalen Brown are usually wrong. How, How about we start there? I didn't like him coming out of Cal. I was surprised they took him when I talked to the Celtics, you know, going back years after he had started turning into something, I was like, what did you see? And I was told, it was like, Ainge just kind of looked at the rest of the class. And everybody thought it was a two-person draft with Simmons and then Ingram. And it's crazy that Jalen Brown's even in the conversation for being better than those guys. Of course, Murray's in that class as well. Um, Although I still think Ingram's really good. They said that they felt like physically and athletically like he fit this, this prototype of exactly what everybody in the NBA is trying to do with these big athletic wings that can also score and defend. And even when he was better than I thought he would be initially, I still was like, I'm not sure who he's going to be. And so I'll just say this. Every time he's he's broken through the ceiling of who I think he is as a player, or I, maybe I should say it this way. Every time I put a ceiling on him as a player and who I think he could ultimately be, he's crashed right through it. And, and I saw the Zach Lowe quote, and it wasn't Zach Lowe's opinion. It was the opinion of one specific front office uh, evaluator who said that the Celtics are paying their third, maybe fourth, maybe fifth best player you know, $300 million. Now, there's a thing about making points. Is Sometimes when you make your point, you ruin your point. If you don't love Jalen Brown and you're in another front office, that's fine. And it's now become more of a thing. You know, This thing with his handle has been going on forever. All right? It's always been a problem. Uh, it was a problem last year once Golden State realized it in the NBA finals. It's like, hey, this guy, once he wants to drive, crowd him. And there's really not much that he can do. And this is not new, but now everybody's aware of it. And, you know, he's just getting whenever it happens, whenever there's a mistake, it's just everybody making the Jalen Brown going left jokes. But what I don't like about that quote, because it's absurd to think that he's the fifth best player in the Celtics. And that's another thing that people do when they make points is they'll kind of go like, all right, I might be onto something here, but let me just ruin my credibility by exaggerating what I think the point is. He's not the fifth best player. He's not the fourth best player. If you want to spin it on a positive side, is Jalen Brown potentially your best player on certain nights in big time playoff games? And the answer is yes. And that's why he's getting this money. That's why he's all NBA this season. You may not think he's top 15. I'm not sure that I do. But for his age and the fact that he'd be 31 at the end of this contract and there weren't better options. And by the way, the Celtics are a really good team. They're on a short list of teams that can go into this next season saying they've got a chance to win a title, so that quote I thought was just an exaggeration of a, of a front office guy kind of being like hey i'm just it's just a runaway train of ideas now here's another lesson with it all, and I'm guilty of this, so it's not a call out, it's reminding myself of this, and that is that when we see these numbers, when you start looking at the annual salaries, you're like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. But let's go back and do a bit of a history lesson with this. If you look at the salary each year in relation to what the cap is now and what the cap projections will be moving forward, I'm not telling you it's a low number, but it helps you make sense of where these numbers are going. The salary cap for the upcoming season, the 23-24, is $136 million. The cap eight years ago was $70 million. All right? We're not even through that season. But eight seasons ago, before the TV spike, the cap was $70 million. So we're almost double that in less than a decade. The TV spike money... Um Got it to $94 million. Kevin Durant, Warriors, Alan Crabb deals, Evan Turner, remember all that. Don't worry about it, but the cap goes up. John Wall's like, why am I making less than Reggie Jackson? All valid points. Not sure why they didn't smooth it out, but they did smooth it out, or they will smooth it out this time around when the new TV money comes in after 24 and 25, right? So we know that there's more of a smoothing. But based on history and where the cap has been, I think the 10% annual increase which is what the new rule will be, and the new TV money moving forward years later, Uh, because I've seen some projections online and where the salary cap is going to go. I think it's completely fair, and I checked with people on this, to project it out 10% increases every single year. So Jalen Brown, as a Supermax eligible player, is able to get this kind of deal where he's 35% of the salary cap, right? If you look at the cap for next year, going off those 10% jumps, and we'll go through the next few years of what Jalen Brown's deal is going to be, it's $149.6 million in 24-25. 25-26, about $165 million, then $181 million, then 199000000 million. 28-29, the final year of Jalen's deal, it'll be just under $219 million. So that means from 15-16 To 28, 29, less than 15 years, we're gonna have an NBA salary cap that goes from 70 million to almost 220 million dollars. Now, you could also counter this and go, why are you so certain it's gonna keep going up? Right. And we say that about housing. Don't worry about it. Houses always go up. It's a fair point. But think how much it just costs you in your daily life if you're into sports and if you have kids. And all the stuff that you're investing in, you're like, wait, how much does that cost? How much does this service cost? How much does it cost to go to a game? What the the hell? Like, it doesn't ever seem to be going down or plateauing at any point. And that's a bigger conversation of like, could there ever be a moment where people start rejecting sports or get sick of it enough? But with the new TV money that's going to come in in a couple of years I don't know how you're coming up with projections where the salary cap's only going to go up like one or three or 5%. Just doesn't really make any sense. Again, I checked with people on this saying you probably should use the 10% increases because that's the most likely. And that's the kind of run that we've been looking at here. So from 70 million to 14 years later to almost 220 million. So whenever you see these contracts come out, you're like, God, these numbers at the back end are staggering. And all they really are is just a reflection of a super max player making 35% of the cap. And that's what he'll be doing. And at least with Jalen Brown, he'll be doing it at 31 years old when he's at that $70 million number. Let's look back at the Supermax in general. Now, just to review, Supermax eligible, 10 plus years of service, if the team still wants to pay you that after 10 plus years in the league, or seven years and all NBA in the most recent season, two of the previous three, defensive player of the year, which they should get rid of, or MVP, right? So Jokic, supermax eligible, his first year's salary going into next year off of his supermax is $47.7 million. Let's go back to 1516, that number I keep using with a $70 million cap. LeBron James, he did a shorter deal, right? But he was eligible for five years, at $132 million, which means his supermax is less than half of what Jokic's is. LeBron's first year was about 23 million in 15-16 when he signed off his max contract of what he was eligible to do, granted we know he did shorter deals all the time to be able to have maximum flexibility. So in just a really short amount of time, 15-16 to 23-24, that super max has gone from 23 million to almost 48 million in the first year. And I still forget that sometimes, and I think a lot of us do. So you see these massive numbers and you go, "Wait, is this Does this make sense? Yeah, it does make sense because that's the language. Those are the projections moving forward. That's the way the Supermax works. Memo to NFL players. There's less of these guys on a roster. Pretty simple math. And so if you resist the headline, which I don't blame you for doing, you go, really? Is Jalen Brown worth $70 in 28, 29? It's super easy to say yes it's a lot harder to give me a realistic alternative that makes more sense for a team that thinks they're contending for a title. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope, now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack, And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is, I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I do not even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food Buddies. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Uh, we're excited today because we got Tracy McGrady, Hall of Famer, uh, my producer Saruti, obviously one of the biggest Magic fans anyone has ever heard of. Uh, so I have a couple questions that he wanted me to probably ask Tracy at some point. Uh, I've already heard you talking about the eras thing. It's very human nature. Like, if I go back to my hometown as a 25-year-old, I'll be like, oh, these kids suck now. That high school is lame. The same things happen with basketball. What do you think is fair about what you like, don't like, and how you compare the eras? Because I think you're far more reasonable as as a player from a generation ago than some of the other
1: guys are. To be honest with you, I, I love my era. Um, I, I love that as a little bit more physicality in the era. I love that. Um, and, and when I say physicality, it's like, I remember playing against the Pistons and every time I would run off a screen, a big man used to or come down the middle. I used to get hit elbows, right? Like the, it was much more physicality. And then the game was played still inside out still. Um, because we had back-to-the-basket players. You had the great Tim Duncan. You had Shaq. Uh, you had, you know, Rich Smith. You still had those guys that played with their back-to-the-baskets. And it wasn't, you know, a perimeter game to where we were jacking up and launching threes. We had three-point shooters, but we wasn't shooting the threes like we were. I think it was much more controlled. Nowadays, you know, you got guys on each team taking 10-plus threes, and I think it's just – it's it's – Everybody is just jacking up threes where I want to see much more of inside game, much more of the big man skill set in, in terms of you know throwing the ball inside, not a big man outside shooting threes, which we have too many of these guys doing that. I want to utilize the big man inside and out. And it's not just being utilized that way. And I and, and that's it really takes me away from watching the game of basketball because. You know, these seven foot guys are not being utilized the way they should be utilized.
0: Yeah, I've started to wonder myself, too, when I watch like just post touches. I'm not talking about Jokic because he's like a unicorn off in his own category. Right. But just balance of like, wait, what if, if everybody's doing this? Is there now another pivot? Where there's some easier real estate. You know, I think Phoenix did it a couple of years ago, but you had to have special guys in Booker and Paul getting to their spot and being so good at this pull up things. And, you know, Van Gundy's even touched on it a little bit on some of the broadcasts. I'm just in an open mind space, which I don't have the answer to, of wondering if there's some new pivot coming where teams will go, you know what, maybe actually having a little bit more balanced attack here is the right way to go. But I I just don't know if the numbers back it up.
1: Yeah, I I think that would be based off of a player coming in like a Shaq or someone. somebody that really changes the dynamics of how teams will construct their team. Steph is re- the reason why the game is played the way it's played right now. He and Clay Thompson because teams are like, okay, we can't compete with these guys. We're playing inside game and shooting all these suits where they're shooting threes at a high rate. So we got to go and find a lot more shooting. Uh, but if you find somebody like a Shaq, that will completely change everything Uh, about the way the game is played now, but we're not going to find a shot. So we might be stuck in this era for a very long time. I mean, you got five guys now coming in, being a point guard, handling the ball, initiating the offense. Like, it's it's crazy.
0: Right. Even if you were to have somebody that physically matched Shaq, which is impossible, they wouldn't be playing like him because you wouldn't grow up watching it. They wouldn't be influenced the same way. Uh, I wanted to ask you about your start because I have a draft story about you that I know oh. I've never asked you about. No, it's it's good. It, it, it's just that there was a team that wanted to take you. I'll just say it because I think I've told a version of the story before where the Celtics interviewed you, and they were so scared because you didn't talk. They were like, we don't we don't know how to draft this guy if he's not going to talk in the pre-draft interview. Now, granted, they had two picks before you went nine. Uh, do you remember? Was it something specific you? Were you just like, hey, man, I'm 18, and I don't have a lot to say, and this is freaking me out?
1: No, I, I just remember um, in college, right, uh, I was being recruited by Kentucky. And I just knew how hard and, and how tough uh, Rick Pitino was, right? So Rick Pitino had left and become Boston coach. And I was like, I don't know if I want to play for Rick Pitino. <laughs> and reason being is because my workout like Rick, that was probably my hardest pre-draft workout ever. Out of all the teams I worked out, Boston was tough. And I was like, I don't want to play for Boston. I'm so, I don't, Wouldn't mind playing for Boston. I just didn't want to play for Rick Pitino at that time. He <laughs> was, was just too tough, man. And and, and it was uh, it was just, you know, finding a way to, uh, I, I, I guess, hurt myself and them not drafting me. <laughs> We're not talking because <laughs> I, did, I did fine in my interviews with everybody else. the Boston, not so much.
0: All right. So you're admitting now, 20 years later, you tanked that interview.
1: I wouldn't say I tanked it. I just do, didn't do a great job of being who I was. <laughs> That's what I said.
0: That is a great story. Finally cuz I remember hearing the story years and years ago and you're like you would have had you wouldn't believe like he just he wouldn't talk to us and I went, "Oh, all right." And then, you know, at that point Patino's going, "I can't draft this guy. I can't" but, I some, I,
1: Go ahead. Listen, I'm 18 years old. I had some instructions coming down. That was from, that was over me. How about that? I okay. didn't know any. Right? I didn't know any, but I had instructions coming down from other folks. I was influenced if that
0: makes sense. Right. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about here. Agents going, you don't want to go there. And you're like, hey, after that workout, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> do you do you look back at that time? Because I you know what you did is really special. And, you know, still for a perimeter guy coming out of high school, it was still a little weird. You know, I remember Kobe taking a ton of criticism because it was like, wait, who do you think you are? Because we just weren't ready for a perimeter guy to do something that Garnett was doing that hadn't been done for a couple decades. What's your, uh, was there a stressful moment? Was there like a last minute decision on it? Like, what do you think is the thing you remember the most about that time leading up to being somebody coming straight out of high school?
1: I remember um, that my mindset was set on going to Kentucky, right? And, it was a really like the last hour, last minute of deciding to make myself eligible for the NBA when Adidas came in and gave me $12 million. So I, college was out of the question. So now I get drafted you know, to Toronto and probably I'm glad I, I went through it because it showed that I can handle anything, even with being criticized by my head coach. I mean, we used to butt head all the time. And I really didn't get that much playing time my rookie year, so I was frustrated and, and, and really just getting dejected and, 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 and uh, was questioning my decision. I'm human. I'm 18 years old. I was questioning the decision because based off of, you know, the criticism coming from my coach and that inconsistency coming from my coach and no structure. So it was very challenging, but I'm glad I went through it because it, it really showed me the mental fortitude that I had as an 18-year-old to, to move forward. Um, but, yeah, it was some challenges that I really had to go through that definitely made me stronger moving forward. And, and on top of that, having conversations with Kobe, who went to it, through it prior to me going through it, you know, having those conversations as well really helped me get through it. But you know, I didn't question my abilities to play on that level. I questioned the decision because of what I was going through.
0: Yeah, it was like eighteen minutes a game. Granted, you're losing a million games, and yeah. you no, know, I I know that obviously you're related events as well. But it felt like back then, uh, the American guys, the younger American guys, really ch- were just they didn't love the idea of Toronto.
1: <laughs> well, I'm from Florida. I didn't know anything about Toronto, but the um the the Blue Jays, and I went to a lot of hockey games when I was up there. Um. No, it, it was me, man, just really trying to figure out the coach, you know, care, kid, 18-year-old kid moving to Toronto by himself. Don't know anything about the city. You know, it's, it's 20, 10 to 20 degrees outside. I don't deal with the cold. Can't drive, drive in the snow. Never did that before. This is all, this is all new to me. But, um, you know, my second year was much more enjoyable because I, we drafted my cousin, Vince Carter. I had a lot of veteran players that really showed me the way, and you know, from that point on, it was just like smooth sailing. But my first year was it was brutal, man. I, I, when you hear that, I slept twenty hours, eighteen to twenty hours. I was really sleeping a lot because I was still growing at the time, too.
0: So I heard this week, and you were talking about you couldn't understand Harden's trade request. We could probably go on and on and on about Harden. Um, I've talked about him already too much because I just. At some point, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm out. That's just to update you. The audience is like, oh, here we go again with Russillo talking about Harden. But Barkley's like my favorite athlete of all time. And I'll admit there's times Barkley, Barkley, like, I don't have a counter argument to him deciding like I want to go to Houston, okay? Because that's, that's 90s ring chasing, uh, even though I love the guy. How do you compare you wanting to move on from franchises to how modern players are now requesting trades?
1: Well, I think if you look at my uh, four seasons in Orlando, I was projected to play with Grant Hill. And we all know Grant Hill uh, was injured with his this ankle injury. Um, so that's me, you know, not with another All-Star, not even a potential All-Star next to me. Four years of playing 40-plus minutes, which took a toll on my body. So I I, I felt like, you know, my last year, we only won, what, 21 games That My team was tanking. We were rebuilding to tank to get a high school kid that I really didn't know too much about. And that was Dwight Howard, who ended up being a hell of a basketball player in the magic uniform. But, you know, I think I was so frustrated over those four years, I, I needed to change. Because the re- direction they were going and what I'd already been doing, you know, was taking a toll on my body. And I I couldn't see myself you know, rebuilding with a, a high school basketball kid that ended up being pretty damn good. But, you know, I think when you look at guys nowadays, it's just because, um, I don't I don't know, something with the coach. It has nothing to do with the way the team is constructed. Like, if you look at James' situation, that team is constructed to be a championship contending team. I don't know why you would want out of that situation. I've never been in that situation where I would want out of playing for a contending championship team to leave and go somewhere else. I've never been in that situation. I can't compare with that.
0: You're right. Uh, that's the thing about, I mean, look, again, I'm not going to repeat my entire thoughts on on his resume, but that they're actually positioned for it. But I would actually take Harden's side if I find out and get more information on what was promised a year ago. For him to take the pay cut, okay. no doubt. Go ahead.
1: That's and, and that's what I've been saying. It ha, for him to leave that situation, it has to be something deeper than we don't know. The media, the player, we don't know about because it just it makes no sense for him to leave.
0: It made no sense that he would take the pay cut last year just to add PJ Tucker without some kind of understanding that he'd be taken care of a year later. And if ownership changed their minds uh after game seven against Boston. Which I can understand, but like that's where I would completely defend James Harden. Going like, now I get it. Now I get it. Now with you, with Toronto, what was
1: it? Toronto, I was a free agent. Like it, you know, this is this is me um, having the opportunity. You're talking about a Central Florida kid, and favorite player. I'm 20 years old. My favorite player was Penny Hardaway. He played in his uniform. I used to drive by this arena often in the summertime where I played um, summer basketball. So Orlando, Toronto competing with, you know, my hometown team, um, a, a coach in Doc Rivers at the time, who was a great young coach that just won, uh, coaching year, I think it was. And it was some internal stuff going on with Toronto that I, I, I don't care to get into. That's all that was. That has nothing to do with, you know, me and Vince not being able to coexist this and none of that. It was just, it was a hometown kid going home.
0: Right. So free agency because of the grant plan. Remember, Duncan? there was the Duncan rumor, too. There was all oh. sorts of stuff. Go ahead.
1: Don't get me started on that. Like That that interview of uh, Grant Hill talking about, you know, the time we were recruiting or Orlando was recruiting Tim Duncan and himself and the nail biter that, you know, sent, sent me back to, to San Antonio is just yeah. – it breaks my heart that we could have had Tim Duncan.
0: Uh, it would oh. break my heart, too, to not be able to be his teammate if I thought at some point, because I think he's like the greatest teammate of his era. Yes. Uh, okay, so let's, right, let's go to the trade part of it after the free agency plan to Orlando. Um, that is Houston. You've got some things in place already. How did that feel at the time? Because then, it, you know, at that point, you're like, okay, I at least feel like I have a strong number two. You've got Van Gundy there in the beginning. What went into that?
1: Yeah, so what went into that was the, the first, when I first had a conversation with Jeff Van Gundy, because I'm coming off of two scoring champs, championships. <laughs> One of the first things Jeff Van Gundy told me, was like, I'm, so, I'm excited. that I mean, this is not worth work, but, you know, you're excited to have me a part of the team. He told me I wasn't gonna lead the league of scoring. That's <laughs> that's what he told me. He said, hey, Well, you're not gonna lead the league of scoring, you know, because we got a big seven five guy that we gotta, you know, throw the ball to and, and get him established down there in the low, low post. Um, so it's it's really just adjusting to how I'm gonna play with yeah, because I had the ball in my hands and controlled the offense. Now I gotta play through a big man. So that adjustment in the beginning it was kind of difficult for me. And then we didn't have the right pieces around us, so we had, you know, to make, um, you know, a a few moves to get Shane Battier in there, Um, get Ray for Austin as our point guard. Like, we had to make some moves to get some guys in there to make us somewhat competitive.
0: What was it like once you learned not just Yao the player, but Yao the personality?
1: Um. I was I was thoroughly impressed with how fast he really grasped the culture and and, and really um, picked up our language, you know, because when he first came in, he had a translator. And I used to see, you know, the coach say something to the translator, translator go and talk to Yao. Uh, By the time I became his teammate, that was no longer the case. And this is probably, you know, only two or three years. So he's he picked up a lot in that span. Um, just very, very great teammate, man, and and, and really uh, had a a tremendous work ethic on the basketball court and and work that he put in. Just a fun guy to be around. Had a great sense of humor and a very intelligent guy.
0: What was it like playing for Jeff?
1: The best coach I played for. Like, it, it was... When I tell you I've never been so prepared going into games, like, Jeff was a basketball so fun uh, he made sure like he Jeff put in work as you would think a Kobe would put in work when you think of Kobe and his work ethic Jeff and Gundy as a basketball coach had that same type of work ethic and I just appreciated you know what he gave to the game what he gave to our team the knowledge and the uh, the preparation that you, you were, as a team, was ready for any, any um, player, any team, like he had you ready and prepared to play a game. That's not for everybody, though, is it? Um, what do you mean? What, what part of it?
0: First of all, I agree that he's a savant. Like, when I listen to him call a game and I try to point this out, I go, look, I, I'm not trying to play favorites here, but there's another level that Jeff is at noticing things and going, why isn't this happening? And it's about his preparation. Like he'll, he'll point out something that should have happened on a free throw substitution. And I don't think there's another analyst, Who There's some great analysts. There's not another analyst that would have even been looking for that thing. That means that Jeff's looking for it every single time it presents itself as an opportunity for a coach to make a decision. So that means all the other times it worked out and the one time he was – because that means he's looking every time. He's looking down. He's looking at the scores table. He's still doing this stuff while he's calling the game. I love it. I think it proves that this is another level to this that Jeff is at, and I think it's him by himself – I love that for you that you appreciate it. I just don't know. I think some players could be like, Hey, relax.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I actually welcomed it. Um, because I actually, I, I know what it did for me from my mental preparation in the game. Physically, I'm going to go out and I'm going to peak, but I think when you have a coach that's that in that's embedded like that and, and prepares you, it can, you somewhat kind of get an edge on your opponent. Cause I don't know if my opponent is this prepared for me. I'm prepared for him on anything that he throws at me. Now, these guys are great players. They're going to, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. But I think having somewhat of an edge coming from my coach and having me prepared in certain situations, like we have percentages of of, of what a guy does when he goes left, when he's on this block, when he's on that block. I mean, Jeff had everything you can imagine about a particular player or how team runs their, their offense success and defensively, It was amazing.
0: I'm a Chris Paul fan. I had him live on the show a month ago, back in New York city, the week of the draft. And, you know, it's tough for me because we know what the arguments, we know what the rules are. Cause I'm like, this guy is so much better than other people who've played the position. And then somebody just hits me with the playoff resume and I have to just, you know, Put down my sword, even if I don't really believe it, right? Mentally I have to put it down, but I'm like, I still don't agree with you. Uh, you are one of the great players of your generation, but because the playoffs didn't work out for some of the reasons that you know can be on you, and then a lot of reasons I was going through the Houston season where you had fifty five wins. I'm like, What happened with the Utah Jazz? I'm like, Up, oh, yeah, I was out again. You know? So what's it like for you? Like recently too, you said, Hey, I think I'm like at the same level of Kobe. People are losing it because you said it because Talent-wise. Right. I, I don't think anybody, no one would suggest you saying the resume, but even the talent thing, because of the playoff resume, it's almost like you're not allowed to say that. What's it feel like to, to actually, you know, be the guy that's in the conversation that we spend all this time on?
1: It's just the work. You know what I mean? Like, I, I work my ass to put my, I work my ass off, you know, to put myself in that those situations, um, you know, Yes, I had extraordinary talent, but I actually worked my ass off to um, supersede, you know, what I was even projected to be in this league. Um, So, regardless of what and and how anybody else feels, when you talk about the talent, yeah, it's undoubtedly that my talent level is definitely up with, you know, the great players that have played this game. I didn't play with Shaq. I didn't play with no LeBrons. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yao was my best teammate, and we couldn't stay healthy, right? So I've never played on a championship team. Um, But, you know, when you you look at the the talent level, you can't question or deny that.
0: That's a perfect transition uh, because you're working with Showtime, Paramount Plus, new show coming out. Where we're going to look at the best, or look for the best one-on-one basketball players. It's the ones basketball league (OBL). Uh, you're behind this. Do you think, in your prime, you would have beaten anyone in the league one-on-one? What?
1: You, you really don't ask me that question. <laughs> do,
0: I thought it was a good transition. I mean, I already know the answer.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah, absolutely yeah. Now, do I think I will beat everybody? No, I think I will lose some game, But what I this yes. Yeah, I, I was a one-on-one player. Like that's that's what I did growing up. Um, that's what I played every day when I was a rookie against uh Doug Christie, one of my my teammates since Ronald. Um I was that's what I that's what I did. Man. I was I was a one on one basketball player. Who's the best
0: one on one player that was in the league that wasn't that good of a player? Like that you were like, hey, if you had to play him once. Most guys would lose, but when it comes to what he needs to do five on five, it just doesn't work, and that's why he doesn't get any run.
1: No, I well, you have some guys like that. I I don't care to name those dudes; they don't deserve to be named on this platform. But I would say there's there's some guys that were, were pretty good in the NBA on five on five, and they will be a hell of a one on one player that you probably would be surprised about. And I would one name was Coutinho Mover. One-on-one yeah. basketball, Casino Mobley, like he was already a problem to deal with, you know, in five on five. But one-on-one basketball, he'll tell your ass up. Like he was that he was that good.
0: Uh the series is gonna premiere here coming up Friday, July 28th. That's 10 Eastern on Showtime Extreme. What was the What's the goal? Like, I kind of, look, I can read all the promos and say, okay, you're looking for the best one-on-one player. But what about what was it about this world that you wanted to get involved with Showtime and kind of tell these stories that maybe are hidden?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's important, man, um, that we have, you know, a a pool of, of talent that's untapped that no one really knows about um, that they should know about. And I'm just glad that I partnered up with Showtime to document And really, um, you know, have these guys tell their stories so you can know who they are. They have a unique skill set. And it's a platform for guys that are not on NBA rosters, that are not on G League rosters. And guys that are not playing overseas, but just, you know, guys that have a deep passion for the game of basketball, have a high skill set. And, you know, this platform is for them. You know, when you look at UFC, MMA. You look at, you know, who these guys were before they got on the platform, you never heard of. But because UFC created this platform, they created superstars for these guys now. And that's what I want to do for OBL. I think it's just, you know, when you talk about the game of basketball, one-on-one is the, the, the true true essence of the game of basketball. And it should be uh, a global sport.
0: I feel like one of my favorite things now is, my God, I feel old, man. I'm only a couple of years older than you, but... <laughs> there'll be some breakout and it'll be like a minute long Tracy McGrady edit, And then you'll just see people be like, holy shit. And, and I, yeah, like, I just, I like that for you. I like it for the guys that deserve it. You know, I like, I like when history smiles on guys that deserve it. And to me, you're certainly one of, you don't need to hear it from me. But, you know, it it happens with a few players every now and then where there's just let's face it. There's a lot of people talking about this sport that haven't watched guys like you play. And they're like, wait, this dude existed. He could do all of this stuff at this size. And I just I just hope that you continue to kind of I just want you to be remembered for the player that
1: you were. Right. That's all. Right. Yeah. Right. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Appreciate it.
0: Well, hey, good luck with all this, man. And we'll catch up again down the line.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you, man.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari,
2: 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all,
3: kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Life advice, RR, at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it. we got Sarudi. We've got Kyle, as always. Still cranking the late July content. Um, All right. What's How up? you guys? Yeah, what's up? You guys want to say hi?
3: Chilling. What's going on with you? Nothing, man. I'm going to, go. to uh, Sweden in a couple of days, but my uh, well, a couple of weeks, and my what? passport is not situated. Oh, and, oh. Uh, so we're we're rolling the dice heavy here. Um, Wait, I had this problem. So is it expired? So yeah, it expired in 2021 and I was like, where the fuck am I going? That's fine. And then it was like, oh wait, I'm going to do, you know, Swedish jury duty. So I'm like, all right, I got to get, I got to get ready to, you know, get ready to go here. And uh, I sent it out. I, I I went through the whole thing, but I forgot to put the passport in and I sent it out like five weeks ago. I got it back like three weeks ago, which is actually good because they're so backed up. They were going to keep it for 10 weeks and I wasn't going to, it's just, I wouldn't even have my old passport to try to do the emergency thing. So uh, I am doing the emergency thing. Um, there's like 26 federal buildings that you can go to in the country. There's one right in Los Angeles, which would have been nice, but the first leg of my trip is going to be like, uh, almost two weeks in Poughkeepsie. And then I'm going to go to Sweden. Uh, so it's technically not my international travel. So I have to, I think I'm going to be going to the Stanford, Connecticut office, uh, in a couple in like a week or so. To try to get this all straight out. Otherwise, I'm gonna to have to cancel a bunch of uh, European flights, that I'm not sure are cancelable. <laughs> and hopefully, spot won't garnish my wages.
2: I've got a guy, though. I've done this before. Uh, you so got a guy. We, we'll, we'll talk offline. But okay, yeah. So I this is like two absolute years ago. power over here. Yeah, this is. And actually, t- shout out to Stefan. Also works at the Ringer. He had the same issue, and he used my guy, and he got the passport quickly. Now you're cutting it real close um <laughs> well, real they, real close <laughs> they won't talk to you in the emergency the emergency passport people won't talk to you unless you're 14 days away from international yeah. travel but the issue is i think if you go to one of those places they might not they only have like a certain amount of slots i think so you might just be shit out of luck but here's what i did i, I found this like sketchy website online um great i read love a couple of reviews we're talking
3: passports love sketchy I, websites
2: <laughs> i was supposed to go to tulum 2021 with maddie my wife yeah and uh couple but maybe like a month or two before i was like oh like my passport is definitely expired and i go to the website it's like seven weeks to get your you know seven mm-hmm. whatever it was way i was way it did the math didn't add up is it was basically what i'm saying and uh she was not super pumped about that so i had to figure out a solution and i found this random website guy who i paid him like a couple hundred bucks and he got me a passport in like a real weeks. passport like a real passport hey, that, hey, man, went scans, to, like- I, I went to mexico i'm just saying <laughs> i went there I guess okay. we'll find out when I go to all Europe, right. but yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk offline. But this guy, he hooked me up, and he hooked our guy Stefan up in the uh, in the in the May Stockholm trip. So, okay, all right. You just got to pay.
3: You got to pay like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean that's what you have to do, anyways. But
0: I'm no, wondering if is Saruti actually a citizen? Who knows? Are yeah. you Canadian,
3: yeah. bro? Are you? Like... I'm I'm a
2: citizen <laughs> of the world. All right. <laughs> nice. Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't know if he's Canadian. He would been he would have been more preachy about COVID. I'm definitely not going uh, Yeah, no, there's no way. <laughs> Wait, did you say you had jury duty? I know you don't have jury duty in Sweden. It felt no, like that's how the, self- the just, sentence I've, was uh, Yeah, I've
3: been joking. It's sort of like an offline joke that you guys don't know about. I've talked to Saruti about it. It's just like I pushed it off the Swedish trip, the intro days, I pushed it off like four times because every time it's like in the middle of basketball season in the middle For of Spotify, football season. By the way. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. this is to meet yeah, I'll this be is to like go to like seminars and stuff, so. Wait, you're going um, to
0: Sweden too, Saruti?
3: Yeah. It's like uh
2: I think I'm thinking, I'm actually going to Portugal before too, so what's up?
3: But yeah, it's going to be a nice little trip. Wow. The I heard boys. they love Americans over there. So I really would like to go. I heard like, you know, Americans like rock stars over there. So I'd also rock like stars? to go since I'm going to be there. But yeah. <laughs> well, my buddy was a black American. So maybe he had like a little, a little extra flair going to it. But he was like, yeah, dude, they love Americans over there. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Um,
2: I don't know that that's usually a thing. Uh, in other parts of the world these days, yeah, we love. I'm not American. saying that's what I was about saying. About <laughs> I was
3: surprised. <laughs> I was Swedish. surprised, but he was like, "No, dude, they fucking they love it." They ask me a whole bunch. Let's of Let's just questions. put it
0: this way: I don't think your friend's wrong. All right, so I'm I'm agreeing with okay. uh with Kyle's black American friend. All right, cool. Fair. All right, let's go. All right, um, here we go. Five nine one fifty pushing forty. Oh, okay, age. I was, like, pushing 40 pounds on the bench. Hmm. That's hard to do, unless you're using a 35. All right, NBA comp, Tiny Man's Todd McCulloch. Oh, wow, all right. Yeah, smaller than Todd. Move to a new city, trying to make new friends. Good fucking luck. I'm on a thread with two new friends, friends in quotes, who I've met through my wife's friends. One of them has been welcoming. The other sort of cagey. The welcoming one invited me and cagey Guy to a sports game. Both of us responded too slowly, so Friendly Guy bought tickets for him and his wife. When I responded to the thread, I asked the other if he wanted to sit together. Here is how the chain transpired. (laughs) Um, All right, so I think initially they're looking at the prices of tickets. Tickets in that section are selling online for $54 a piece if you want to go together. Friendly Guy says do it. KG Guy says one ticket purchased. (laughs) Based on that response, I pivoted and found another dude who I'm friendly with to join me. What do I make of this? It is clear KG Guy doesn't like me. Or is it clear KG Guy doesn't like me? Do I blackball him, give him the cold shoulder when I see him at social gatherings, confront him about it? Sagely, guidance, especially from Kyle, would be appreciated. All right. So, You might be thinking into it a little too much. Okay. It it's obvious that it feels like if you've already called them cagey guys, something happened before this. A couple things may have transpired where you felt like, okay, this guy isn't as friendly. Um, it doesn't sound like it's the Midwest. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but you admit yourself that you were both late to respond. So a friendly guy is like, hey, here's the plan, and tickets are in the mix and you've got to make moves quickly and nobody wants to get stuck. I mean, listen to some of our Venmo submissions about wanting to buy four tickets and then I'll figure it out later. But both of you responded later and then you think the guy doesn't like you because people didn't respond soon enough and he just went ahead and bought one ticket on his own and didn't invite a guy he barely knows who, again, he may not like you. But if I'm looking at it from his perspective like, if first of all, I guess the, the best thing, do not confront him on this because no. he's definitely not going to like you then. All right. Because if you want to give him any kind of benefit of the doubt, maybe he's a little aloof. Maybe he's shy. Maybe he's not a, a, a dog right away. Right. Maybe he's a bit more like a cat, which is how I've heard I've been described. So he <laughs> he very well could have been like he didn't respond. I still want to go. I don't even know this fucking guy. Like I'm buying a ticket. Uh, maybe he could have softened the text, but we have some efficient texters out there. You know, that's why I started going with an exclamation point the last couple of years, just to lighten it up a bit. Um, I, hate that I didn't too, like, but you have to do it. Yeah. I didn't like it, but I, I felt like too often I was getting responses back being like, whoa, are you mad at me? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm yeah, all these people, there was a stretch there where everybody thought I was mad at everybody because I, <laughs> the way I texted and it was like, I, I don't know. I just. Yes or fucking no. Here you Just go. They needed a crash course. Yeah. If you text OK, a-
2: it actually doesn't mean OK. It means like, oh, is he mad at me? So it's got pissed off. It has to be OK exclamation point.
0: Yeah. OK. Ha ha ha. Such a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Vibing. So. Um, Apparently ha
2: ha is not in anymore either. It's a. Uh, well, wow,
0: thank you actually for letting me know. <laughs> yeah. I was like sarcastic those- now. No, I was like, I threw in a hot exclamation. I was like, I need to just start doing this, I guess. Um, So people (laughs) don't think I'm pissed all the time. So don't confront him. Don't ask about it. Don't tell anybody else about it. Okay. Just run it back at a different time. And then maybe you'll have a good time and you'll be really happy. You didn't turn into like, Hey, cagey guy. Why didn't you buy me an extra ticket? I, I would not, even if you're right, give him the benefit of the doubt on this. And then maybe you'll have another experience where like, Hey, this is really good because what, what are you solving by confronting him at this point? If you're saying, "Hey, you don't like me and you don't want to be friends," that'll guarantee that you won't be friends.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm not even going to touch on the Venmo thing because that was the first thing. I was like, some guys are just like, I'm not chasing anybody down for anything. Uh, I'll just, I'll, oh, yeah, I'm paying for this, paying for my appetizer and my drink, and that's it. Like, because some guys are just, they're not into into like you know you get me back later and whatever some guys just aren't into that so i could i could see that could be a thing the other thing is like you know intro to a new friend group are they're they're always a little awkward and hard and and if you don't and if you don't get your arms around this thing this could last forever you could be in with this group and then you and this guy are weird forever so you might just want to try to get you know open your mind up and get around this thing there was one dude in our uh the dark room group that is sort of meshed with the frolic group a lot of the core guys are the same one of the guys um in the frolic group his name's danny bumba uh, i don't think that's a, actually his last name but he, the first couple times i saw him he would wear a neck brace just for like for a joke and i was like what the fuck is going on with this guy and f- for like for that reason i just sort of like i just sort of backed off for like i don't know almost a full year i was just like i'm not really I'm not this acknowledging that place so much yeah, uh, no, he's like a small little guy. And it's like he kind of is afraid to fight. I think he just wore the neck brace as some sort of joke. I didn't get it. I was <laughs> out. I was uncomfortable. And everyone's like, oh, Danny Bum is great. He's awesome. Uh, now I'm 100 percent in. He's so he's fun. Uh He's great to golf with. He has the joke balls. He has like a fake snake and a fake joke rat that he gets huh? guys with. Yeah, the exploding balls. <laughs> snake. He's like, he's great. He's yeah, <laughs> he got me London. with a fake snake on the ground. Yeah, it was really good. And uh he's just he's funny. He's kind of the wild card, but he's like, the jokes are always funny, uh, if as long as you know Danny Bubba. But I was like out, completely out. I was like, I don't know what's going on with that neck brace thing. That's weird. I don't think it's funny. You're trying too hard, bro. And it's just like it, we just kind of never, you know, we never kind of mesh and then uh, one day i sort of got it but i lost a year of danny bumba i could have had a really good year of danny bumba and that was my you know that was my 2021 uh that i could have just had better if i just if i was opened a little bit and got my arms around this new friend thing so I, I i don't don't take the one little thing and be like all right he's out on me i gotta be out on him just you know try a little harder that's all yeah but the point is you like you didn't confront him and be like
2: dude what's up what's the deal and make things even more awkward you just kind of let it play out and then you yeah. guys end up being friends so that's what this guy but should 100% he- do
3: yeah. Or even just try to forget that if I could just if I could have looked past the neck brace into the man inside, I think I would have had a, you know, I wouldn't have taken so long. It's my point.
2: I would just like to know, like, how much time passed between him buying the ticket and texting you? Like, was it a couple hours? Was it a couple days? If it was a couple hours, then yeah, like maybe there is actually some issues there. If, if you guys didn't respond for like a couple days or a week and he just went and bought a ticket. Then uh, that's kind of just on you. I don't blame him whatsoever. I think this is a classic do nothing scenario and just see what happens. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. He'll either he doesn't like you and you'll just find out other instances of that in the future, or it was just a misunderstanding. You guys might be friends in a couple years. So, I classic do nothing scenario for me. A
3: couple years. Right.
0: <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> slow playing this one up. Huh?
0: <laughs> yeah. Three years are going to be roommates. Well, it
2: took a year for just... you and Johnny Bamba or whatever to, 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 Danny Bamba. Danny Bamba, whatever.
3: Anyway. Right, but
0: you were younger then too. So, you know, the other part that we always try to tell everybody is that when you get older, it's just harder because then there's less um there's less like acceptance, there's less tolerance. You know, when you fuck up when you're twenty, you could have it figured out by the weekend. When <laughs> it's a new relationship and you fuck up and you're almost forty, you guys are just writing dudes off. But I'll I be friends tell you in a this. couple years. Right. <laughs> If you want to guarantee not becoming friends with somebody new, ask them, why don't you like me? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I can think of any story, especially hey, when are we a good? guy, yeah, went up to another guy who they, he, they barely know each other and be like, why don't you like me? Um, because then he's going to be talking about you Then yeah. it's you're not going to be. That you're not going to be there hanging out. Listen to this story five years later. And like, ah, that was so funny. Not saying it's impossible, but it pretty much is. Okay, let's do a dreams one. Uh, this one made me laugh because I have a friend who's like this. 5'10", 195, been biking a bit recently, but struggle with consistency in everything that I do in terms of working out. All right, well, at least you're still trying to find something to do, you know? Anyway. My wife and I have lived together for about three years. Everything's great. Relationship is equitable. I think we have a great understanding of one another. There is, of course, one hang up. Every morning, she fills me in on whatever nonsense happened during last night's dreams. Yes, this is harmless and has no real impact on our relationship. But after years of basically not responding or a small wow after every recap, (laughs) I would think she would eventually refrain from telling me these stories, but no such luck. I haven't gone as far as telling her, quote, I have no interest in your dreams. Please stop. <laughs> but I do feel like I've expressed not being interested in someone else's dream around her responded positively when someone has made a joke about the topic. My main question, is there another step to take here without hurting her feelings or am I going to have to hear about her nonsense her brain subconsciously produces for the rest <laughs> of my life? Uh, great email. Great email. Specific. People that hate other people's dreams really hate other people's dreams. We have one friend who has like a rule where on the chain he'd just be like, I don't, if somebody brings up a dream, I don't think anybody does anymore because we've known each other so long. Like one guy just ruled the entire deal where it was just, I don't, I don't want to hear about anybody's dreams. It's fucking stupid. Um, other I people agree. are interested. I have wild dreams. Sometimes I'm like, oh man. But then I go, "Who? you're going to call somebody and tell them about this? <laughs> I mean, I guess it was what a wife or girlfriend would be, you know, be like, hey, here you go. And then even if I had these incredible tales to to retell, to do it every morning, like that would suck. So you mentioned like one thing came to mind. You need to find a way to be so aggressively anti-dream in front of her. That's not a direct response to her explaining her dreams that maybe it comes out, that it comes out that way. Because first thing in the morning being like, hey, stop telling me about your fucking dreams is not the move. And you're smart enough to already know that. Um, I would throw on Inception and bitch about it the whole time. <laughs> Which is tough because I love that movie. Simmons on a rewatchable the other day. He he was like, ah, I don't, mm. like not a dream guy, apparently. Uh Nolan that, Zag guy? Uh, I don't know if it was a Nolan Zag. It was an Inception Zag. And I just, I don't know, man. Like, I think the movie to write that out and to make it work. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to do a movie about dreams and all these different things. And then when Nolan explains, like, the way he did the scenes, he goes, if you think about your dreams, it never has a starting point. You're just in the scene immediately. So that's how they wanted to do a lot of the stuff. Like, when they have the traffic scene in the rain and then the train. I I can't believe that everyone doesn't appreciate that and realize how special it is. How are you going to talk shit
3: about this, then? How are you going to talk shit about this (laughs) Masterpiece?
0: Well... I'm not telling him to do it because I think it's Rudy and I are on the same page. Like, I, I'm not a message board guy. When I saw it in the theater, I wanted to go on a message board and talk about the movie with other people. That's how fucking, like, I just was floored by the whole thing. However, don't use any of those. Just start bitching about it. Like, oh, wait, they just, they go to some guy and sleep in his basement Like, oh, they just have to, they have a briefcase of dreams in here. And then, you know, when it's getting later on, it's like, oh, we're in another dream. Give me a fucking break. Oh, now, now we're a SWAT team in the Arctic. Just murder the entire plot storyline, the whole thing. By the way, the dream inducing guy hates me in real life. Um, Yeah. Side note. Um, So, yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I I don't know. I mean, do you guys have other do you have to deal with this? I bet your wife tells you about her dreams, Kyle.
3: Oh my God. Un <laughs> unreal. Cat <laughs> the, women. Cat women the, the love pain, sharing dreams. The painstaking details that I hear. And it's just like, and then and then you were laughing at me and everyone was trying to kill me. And and I'm like I'm like, do you want me to say sorry? Do you want me to apologize? What is it? So uh I think I think what you could do is a couple of things. I think you could just change the subject. I try that sometimes. Sometimes it works. Sometimes she gets the hint, but I'm not specifically saying uh, stop telling me about your dreams. Uh, these don't mean anything to anyone other than you. Um, but so sometimes I'll change the subject. Sometimes I'll talk about my sleep last night. I'm like, ah, I was tossing a turning last night. You know, I had to get up, got some water, sat on the couch for a little bit. I just had a rough night. And then maybe feel bad for me and don't tell me about your dream. So that's one. The other, you could say, maybe not when she is telling you the dream, but maybe be like, hey, I got you a dream journal. You can write these down. And then, I don't know, maybe talk to your therapist about it. Uh, But like, wait a minute. Time out, Kyle. Great idea. Dream journal. Just write it down. Don't say it. Just write it. And then, uh, you know. Or if she asks you to read it, though. Then I'm going to say no. I'm going to say, I think this is probably... Maybe we should go to like better help. Maybe somebody talk to them about your stuff, read the bullet points off. Maybe you could get to the bottom of whatever this is. So you're not qualified know. for this. This is what I'm not qualified. Yeah. Yet. The dream journal. This is just uh, this. We're gathering data. And we're going to get somebody who could extrapolate. How about that? Not me. Um, those are the two things. Basically, I was going to say change the subject into like how you, how last night was for you and not dreams. Maybe be like, you know, I got a fucking cramp at three in the morning. Oh my God. Just something where like, maybe we could shift the attention onto you. And maybe usually it's like, did you have a bad like a, did you have a bad night's sleep?" Because now, like let's talk about that instead, because nobody's like, "Oh, you had a good night's sleep. Let's talk more about that." So you could talk about how you had a poor experience sleeping, and that will trump her nonsense dream or go with the dream journal. Those are my two solutions. I feel like my wife and I don't talk
2: about dreams really. If we do, it's just like very surface level, like, wow, this, like, hey, I had a dream that, like, you know, I did this stupid thing last night and it's like five seconds and it's really no, because it's kind of like the fantasy football thing. Like, the more people don't just, the more you talk about it, you know, you could just say, hey, like, I got screwed over, you know, this guy got hurt and everyone's like, oh, it's a bummer. But then, like, if you go for like another minute and, you know, two minutes and start talking about what your lineup adjustments are, people are just like, what the fuck, man? I don't care. So I would just say, you know, if you're, if you keep it within five to 10 seconds, it's fine. I it's did never that. I it, it, Yeah. so obviously it's she's never not that. Gonna, She's not going like, to change now. She's like zero, her whole it's dream. zero
0: seconds or a lot of them. <laughs>
2: yeah. I early in, in, in my, in our, my relationship, I could be a little bit cold, uh, shocker maybe, but I, early in the relationship, I think I nipped a lot of that in the butt with my wife and she just kind of knows that I don't care about stuff like that. And I don't know that she even does either. So like dreams, of, but even if it's like, if, if there's some like work story that goes on and on and on. Like she could tell that I'm just kind of like zoning out and I don't really care. And she'll kind of catch herself and I'll do the same thing. So we kind of check each other on that. So I would just say maybe just zone out and completely make it obvious that you just are not that interested. Like, don't be rude. I don't, like don't like say, Hey, I, I don't Aggressive care. This sucks. The story blows. Just, just don't act interested. and, if you keep doing that she's going to kind of get the, and maybe she'll get mad at you i don't really know like what the temperament of your wife is and she'll just be like why don't you care about me you don't want to listen to things that are important to me but if you just kind of act like you don't care i kind of feel like she'll just slowly stop talking to you about it i think that's a real option as well by the way did you say nip in the butt nip in the bud right in the bud bud yeah i thought i i thought i heard a butt. i might have I said that i did too
0: yeah. i did too right. i left it alone
2: all right my bad i know it's bud i just you know it's a slip up it is what it is i hey. appreciate you checking me on that though yeah because yeah, it. it
0: was just it was going to be really weird if it's like <laughs> 30 years later, you went, it's what? It's (laughs) bud? Which happens. It does happen to people. There's still a couple words every now and then that I'll say. I'll be like, what? Um, So, yeah. uh, No, no, no foul on that one. I also think having a couple kids probably eliminates a lot of this stuff where you just be like, hey, don't have time for the recap now. (laughs) You got
3: 30 minutes till eggs need to be on the table right now. So, yeah.
0: Right, right. Whatever hut you were living in. With your <laughs> high school classmates, <laughs> you know, and then you kept trying to punch the person in the face and you were missing yeah. and they were sitting right there and nothing was happening. And you just you're, it was like a magnet, opposing <laughs> magnets, and the, the fist just kept going side to side and you couldn't hit the person no matter how hard you tried. Um, and oh, you had a test that you hadn't showed up to class for, in no way. Uh, you know, like I get it. I, I don't think, I don't think I'd want to listen to it. And that's why, even though, I don't even know. I, I Christ, I call Saruti about everything. We're not at a dream level. No. 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 We're not going to get there.
3: How many years does the pod have to be off the air before you start calling him? <laughs> how many years do you have to not be doing a pod before you're calling him and, and informing him on your dreams?
0: In, if in five or six years I'm calling Saruti in the morning to recap a dream, things have gone really bad for me. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And at that point, I don't expect Saruti to answer. Sometimes I tell him now, like, don't answer. Don't call back. You just had an idea.
2: I do remember now my wife one time did hit me with the, Hey, like I had a dream where you cheated on me. And, uh, and my, I think my direct response is like, what would you like me to do with that information? And again, she was like, it wasn't like a, Hey, I'm mad at you thing. It was just like, all right. And then we just kind of moved on. So I think your wife either kind of just wants to get bogged down in that kind of stuff or she understands it doesn't care or it doesn't matter.
0: There you go. When I typed in the the dream thing to find the email, there was something that said I had a dream about Saruti. Well do we dare just
2: Sure. Yeah. Kind of nervous.
0: I just woke up from a vivid dream. I was in attendance at the US Open. Golf, not tennis. I was sitting in a hole in the back. Um when Billy Horschel hit a shot which impacted the green and called for a ruling from a course official. Who did they call over? Known golf guy, Steve Cerruti. (laughs) Cerruti displayed a masterful command of the situation before bizarrely putting Horschel's ball in. Oh, putting Horschel's ball in an awful spot, basically right in front of an extremely slow portion of the green, nowhere near where Horschel's ball originally was, (laughs) but no one said an ill word, though. Such was the respect Cerruti had on the course. Horschel did not save par.
2: I like Horschel. That sucks. I wouldn't do that to my guy.
0: No one challenged you. you know? Rules are rules. I've, I think I've, that's, I, that's that's awesome. a complimentary recap, really. It I just do kind of love that. that. This guy has such respect for you that subconsciously you're just in charge of shit.
2: Everybody at the US Open is like, Sruti knows what's going on. We, this guy's trustworthy. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. Actually, that actually takes me to another little side thing. Remember a couple, what was it? It was probably like a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so. For some reason, we were talking about golf. And, you know, I was talking about how, like, I played in high school. I was pretty good. And you asked me, like, what my best score was. And I think I said I shot in, like, the mid to high, mid to high 70s was my best score. Um, and, like, a bunch of dudes after that would hit me up and be like, you're a liar. Like, no way. You don't realize how good that is, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that I could shoot that right now. I'm not saying that I could shoot that consistently. But that's what, what, what my best score was. I think it was, like, a 78 or a 79. Um, anyway, I tell the story. Two weeks ago, I played golf for the first time in a year. And I shot an 83. So those guys could fuck right off. Humble brag for your boy.
0: It just shocks me that you would say you did something well or something that deserves recognition and that people online would just tell you you didn't (laughs) do it. So
2: I'm mad uh, at myself for even being mad about it, but it did piss me off. I'm like, why would I lie about that? I don't care.
0: Anyway. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Look, you just wouldn't. I know you and you wouldn't. And congrats on the 83. Not playing. All right, that's life advice. Hit them straight, boys. (laughs) Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Ryan from Civil Podcast. Bring your Spotify.